Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Yeah, some of you don't know me. Um, I feel a little powerful with my voice being so loud. Um, you might have seen me back here playing drums, as Brian is seven in for today. Um, I also hold a small group. Um, me and Madison both host that. She's right here. If you don't know her, you should. She's very lovely. Uh, we have a single member right now, which is Mac, who's right here as well, supporting us. Um, so if you're cool, you can come too. We only have the one member right now. Um, but I wanted to preach on Psalm 4 today. Um, something about the Psalms really resonates with me um, is Selah. Um, it has a lot of things synonymous with summer. Um, we're in the heat of summer right now. Um, for a lot of us, that means no school schedules, no game days. <laughs> My daughter's clapping for that very reason. Um, but it gives us a chance to breathe, to reset. Um, if you've been with us in person or online uh, the past couple of weeks, Mark and Fabs have been working with us um, on the reflection through Psalms and uh, how different forms of art um, require different types of attention, different types of participation. Um, the same way you would look at a Van Gogh painting is very different than the way you would probably dance to a Taylor Swift song, for instance. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit of a ridiculous comparison, but um, it also speaks to the much more subtle nuances in art. Uh, Fab's taught us very eloquently on... Standing in the gap between what it feels like to be a human, to have our own perception of reality and what things feel like, um, and what it feels like when God shows up and meets us with the things that he's promised us, and also what it feels like when maybe it feels like God doesn't show up. Now, we're going to continue this series diving into uh, what a change of posture can look like for us this summer. Um, I really like uh, the say laws, um, and that's going to be a big posture that we're going to adopt as we go through the message. So everybody with me, um, I would like you just to all take like one big deep breath with me, just end out. <sighs> See, that feels wonderful, right? <clears throat> uh, just to get our blood moving a little bit. I want you all to think of, of a relationship, whether it was a really profound relationship that maybe transpired over a summer, like whether that is maybe how you met your spouse, friend, best friend. Just really think back to that moment and just hold on to that. Now, what is it that you guys think created that? Was it proximity to that person? Was it possibly maybe just your chemistry? What was it? Now, the thing I love about Psalms as well is that they're poems. Um, the reason I chose Psalm 4 um, is particularly when I had a conversation on silence. So now that we've taken that pause, that breath, slowed down, I want to read through Psalm 4 with the posture of Selah. 
Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Does it feel different when we slow down to participate with something with a piece of art? I noticed a lot of things in that passage really stuck with me after the second, maybe third time that I read it, and I really slowed down and started to notice some things. One thing I love about poetry is that it doesn't play by the rules. Uh, it doesn't read like an explanation. It, it evokes, it takes a curiosity, it takes things out of us. Your rules are okay sometimes. I'm not much of a rule follower myself, um, but who in the room are my rules keepers? Show of hands. Get them up, get them up, be honest. All right, the room's a little bit more rebellious than I thought. Okay. I don't feel alone. Um, the first thing I noticed when I really took a deep breath and started to read is that the psalmist, which in this case is David, um, he's been here before. Uh, this is a practice in which that he's familiar. He's calling out to the divine. He's asking for help. He's asking for reprieve. And he knows from experience because he's been here before. He's been in a circumstance, at least that's similar, that he's been answered, that he's been given reprieve. As we move along, it becomes clear in verse 2 that David is a little bit down for the count. Um, we don't know exactly when in time this particular psalm was written. Um, but with poetry, that kind of doesn't matter. It's really more about connecting to the emotion rather than it is the specific series of events or particular event that this might be speaking to. As the psalm continues, one thing I notice is the voice changed. David was, was calling out to God, and then he was speaking, I, and then you, and he just goes back and forth through that throughout the psalm. I think he did that very intentionally to, to give a posture of we, as that this is not only for the individual, but this is for us as a community. 
when I was first reading through it, and I was going a little too quickly, um, I really almost read it as an accusation. Um, in verse... He says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And the first thing I thought was, well, David, um, I seem to remember some other parts in the Bible where uh, you did a pretty good job of being dishonorable. Uh, But after sitting with it with a moment, I did notice that change. I noticed that this was a call for all of us. And then it was a confession and ends with a promise. He goes back and forth, again, using that language of you and I, and it just becomes ever more clear that this is a piece of art for him and for us. Now, in verse 3, I have a little bit of a hard time sometimes with the word godly, um, kind of how this mic is making me feel very powerful and celestial. It kind of seems like this unattainable thing, right, this unattainable word to use. Um, but other translations of the text use the word devout, and it just feels a little bit more personal, a little bit more closely aligned with what I feel like the walk with Christ looks like in a day-to-day life. Verse 4 says, be angry. And when I was reading through it, I stopped. I was like, be angry. I was like, angry. It just stirred something inside of me. I didn't really, didn't really resonate for some reason. So I decided to, to stop, and I dug in a little bit deeper. And as I was looking through... Um, I took it back to its, its root text in Greek. Um, it's the word targmenos. And this word has a lot more depth than our English variant. It actually has a few meanings. It means confused, agitated, abashed, which we know is embarrassed or ashamed. And then it says, do not sin. As we look inward this morning, What makes us feel confused? Is it a relationship? Is there something inwardly we're embarrassed of? Or maybe something that we felt shame for, maybe in the past, maybe present? I know there is for me. Now as we move along, David in verse four says, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. How do we feel about silence this morning? What does silence look like for us in our lives currently? Do we avoid it? Are we afraid of what we'll think about if we take the time to be silent with ourselves? Maybe it brings up something painful for us. Maybe it just feels like a waste of time. I know I've had moments where I set aside time to be silent and it didn't seem very rewarding. 
Now, a quick Google search will tell you the benefits of silence. Um, lowering blood pressure, it's great. Improving concentration and focus. Calming racing thoughts. Stimulating brain growth. Reducing cortisol or the stress hormone. Stimulating creativity. Improving insomnia. Encouraging mindfulness. These are all wonderful things, right? But what does it really look like for us? In silence, we find complexity in what's already here, present in our lives. When we notice more, when we dive deeper, when we stop and be present with the moment, we notice things that were always there, but were lost on us. And when we notice these things, we begin to see transformation in the way that we respond to the things around us. David very clearly says to look inside ourselves, to ponder, to reflect, carefully consider and listen and be silent. I also believe that silence is one of the most profound ways in which we have a relationship with the divine, where we get around the false narratives in our lives. Though our silence doesn't come without cost. I think David was very tactful to follow up with sacrifice because sacrifice is something that happens when we give our time. If your life is anything like mine, it's very busy. We are productive people here in Austin. Lord knows, with the living costs here, we certainly have to be, right? I think we can all relate. Offering up my time is, is no small task. This is also something that's very relatable. But in this space, we start to move past our transactional relationship with God. And in silence, we start having a friendship with God. Like any true relationship, friendship, it demands a certain amount of our time. Making time for a friend, a spouse, a partner, sometimes means sacrificing something we'd much rather participate in a lot of the time. Anyone else experience that? Sometimes at the end of that sacrifice, we put off something that we would maybe rather enjoy to do, maybe something that we feel like needs to be done. We just have so many things. Our lives are busy. And anybody have that experience where you go and you hang out with that friend and then you're like, man, I'm really glad I did that. You know, it's super rewarding, it's wonderful. You feel warm and fuzzy inside. And then you ever have the time where you make that sacrifice, you hang out with that friend, spouse, and you just say to yourself, man, that totally wasn't worth it. <laughs> That's a part two. Um, thinking on our friendships and the amount of time that it takes we, we gain a sense of how much of our time we've given. And the people that are closest in our lives, I don't think anybody in this room would find an exception to that. It takes a tremendous amount of time. If we compare that relationship, those friendships, 
with our friendship with God? What does that look like? Could it be better? Is it good? Is it maybe neglected? What is it that's getting in the way of that relationship? What is it that's stopping us? John Mark Comer says it like this. Attention is the beginning of devotion. I really hit me with the word devotion um, as we hit in verse 3 and how certain translations of the text use that word devout. That God sets the devout apart for him. John Mark continues in his book. He says, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. That bodes well for the apprentices of Jesus who give their bulk of their attention to him and all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not those that give their attention to the 24-7 news cycles of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural dribble. He put in parentheses, though I think it's really important, as if we give it in the first place. Much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. But again, we become what we give our attention to, for better or worse. Yikes. He's a, he's a straight shooter. Some of that really, really hurts sometimes, right? Really gets to the center. I had this thought as I was going through this story um, of this psalm, and it made me laugh, and I kind of debated using it or not, but it seems a little silly, so bear with me, but uh, just like the plot in most Disney movies, I feel like, um, there's there's always this height. There's some kind of need intervention, whether it's a battle um, or some kind of event where everyone seems to be looking for a savior or possibly looking to this one character. Uh, for whatever reason, that person just goes MIA. All of a sudden, they're gone. Um, and sometimes they go on a journey, they stumble upon some crazy magical power or something. Um, or they experience something that just radically changes them into this perfect thing. And when they show back up, everybody sees this character and they're like, wait, who are you? Who is this person? They're unrecognizable because of this change. Now, I'm not saying that your friend, spouse, or partner are going to recognize us, not recognize us. But if we were to look inwardly and spend time with God, be silent regularly, 
What if in some ways we were unrecognizable? What if in some ways we started to act different? For the dads in the room, it's Father's Day. What days, what, what ways do you want to be seen differently? In our connectedness to the divine, our hearts begin to change, to feel differently from the inside. It works its way outward. We begin to bear fruit. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. And that makes me think of what does fruit look like? What is the fruit of our connectedness to God? Galatians 5 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I know that I want joy. I want peace. I know for my children, for my wife, I need patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. I'd say that most of the people I know, anyways, aren't necessarily killing it in the patience department. I don't have a friend that is uh, egotistical enough to say, yep, doing fine, patience meter's full, what else we got, you know? As this season of summer is upon us, it breathes a natural change into our days perhaps provides a break, an opportunity. What would our summer look like if we embraced this change? If we took a moment, if we took pause, silence? What would that look like in our lives? Imagine with me for a moment, you were painting a painting. You were just continuously brushing, never lifting the brush from the canvas. You never take the time to stand back. We rush from here to there, doing this and that. Wonderful people of the vine, I'd suggest that our lives are a beautiful work of art. And what would the painting of our lives look like? if we never pause to pull back, if we never take the time to see where we go next. In summation, I believe 
that if we became a people of silence, our posture would change. We will become more connected to ourselves and furthermore, the divine. I believe we will begin to see the places in our lives where and where not our divine invitations are at work. I'd like to end today by reading a poem. This poem is by Tess Gunnery in her book, The Apricot Memoirs. It says, if my current ways can no longer carry me, I don't want to row in that boat any longer. I stand face to face with dark yet kind storm clouds, smiling at me with secrets of splendor, and just like a song, I sing right at them with fierce ocean eyes, asking them to sway toward me. I want the change and the thirst and the mess and the surge and the growth and the freedom and the creativity. I want the alchemy of it all to charge at me like a dance with no shoes. We were never meant for comfy. Pray with me. God, may we know what David knows, that you put joy in our hearts, that our finances, our careers, our societal status is not what's important. That's not the fruit we need to bear. That by looking inward, we can meet you and we can be with you, can grow in our friendship and our relationship with you. May we be a people that relentlessly pursue what you have laid out for us. May we be a people with slow internal tempos. May we be a people that reflect. May we be a people that listen before we act. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.